or Paul talked in first or in uh, Philippians chapter two about not doing things for vain glory. And I can't remember what the other one is that he said. But if we're not careful, we can become contentious. We can become argumentative as a church family. And we can be consumed with what we want instead of what other, somebody else wants. Or, and, and we can fight and argue over petty, worthless things. Things that really don't matter. And we have to have our guard up that we don't become like Diotrephes, where we want to be in the limelight and we want to be in charge. And so we have to be careful about that kind of thing. We have to guard our attitude and our motivations and why we do what we do and why we want what we want. And in verse 11, John says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. And I find it interesting that this command comes right after he talks about Diotrephes. He talks about Diotrephes, and honestly, Diotrephes was a horrible person. He was not a good Christian man. He was selfish. He was arrogant. He was prideful. All he cared about was himself. Um, and so now, all of a sudden, here he brings this command, follow that which is good and, not that which, and don't follow what's evil. And so this is where I want to pick up tonight. That word follow is pretty interesting. It simply means to mimic or imitate. Now, we mimic things in our lives. We do, whether we like it or not. Um, I remember one time when we lived in Georgia, we had a kid in the youth group, and I guess this is coming back, the whole pop your collar thing. Any of you remember this? Anybody remember the popping the collar? Remember you used to take your polo shirt or whatever, and you'd pop the collar? And if you had an American Eagle shirt, a lot of times on the underside of the collar, it would say, pop this, is what it would say. And I had a kid in my youth group, and all that kid wore was American Eagle. It was American Eagle khakis, polo, probably underwear. And, I mean, it was all American Eagle all the time with this kid, nonstop American Eagle. And so one time I, I kind of just stopped him, and I said, hey, I said, um, honestly, I don't remember what I asked him, but he said, listen, he said, I want to be my own person. And I looked at him. His name was Andres. I said, Andres? then why do you look like the mannequin at American Eagle? And he just kind of looked at me. But we do, we mimic things all the time. If you hunt, you mimic, you call, and you mimic whatever it is you're hunting. And we do, we imitate, we mimic all the time. We mimic uh, sons, mimic their dads. I mean, my wife always talks about, man, he walks just like you. Um, or, you know, like if, if you were ever in the military and you had a kid, or I know my, uh, my nephews did this with their dad when he was in the Air Force, but they would put on his uniform and walk around in his army boots when, you know, they were three, and they would mimic their dad. TikTok. We mimic all sorts of stuff from TikTok. TikTok is constantly, I was reading an article a while back, TikTok is constantly putting out trends, things that people just do, and people copy it, and people mimic whatever they see. And they actually say, I don't have TikTok, but they say when it comes to TikTok, it's impossible to keep up. There are so many things that are constantly being started through TikTok that you can't keep up with everything. But we do, we mimic things. We imitate things. And here, John says to follow or to mimic, to imitate, not that which is evil, but that which is good. In our lives, we should be seeking out good things to imitate. 
We should be seeking to imitate good. Um, what's interesting, he goes on in the rest of the verse, he says, he that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. And uh, so in our lives, we should seek to imitate good. Take your Bibles, keep a finger here, go over to 2 Thessalonians. Is, I didn't give them verses tonight, so they're not going to be up on the screen, so you're going to have to turn to them. But 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, and let's look at verses 6 through 9. Here, Paul writing says, Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. That's an interesting thought. Hear what he just said? He said, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. You realize that even as Christians, there may come a point where we have to separate from another Christian. If they're not willing to do what's right, if they're not willing to follow the Lord, we may have to separate ourselves from another brother, a Christian. He says, and not after the tradition which you received us, for yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. Here, Paul says, you guys should imitate us. Why? For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Notice verse 9. Not because we have not power or authority. So here, Paul says, listen, it's not that we don't have the authority to, to do certain things, but he says, you know what? We just wanted to have a good testimony among you guys. We wanted to have a good testimony. But notice what he says in verse 9. He says, but to make ourselves an example or an ensample unto you to follow or to imitate us. That's good leadership. Good leadership sets the example for you to imitate, for you to follow. That's good leadership. Um, I, I, I enjoy the game of golf. I really do. Um, if you've never played golf or if you've never invested any time into the game of golf, maybe you don't necessarily totally appreciate it. And I know people are always like, yeah, I don't know how you watch that. It's so boring. But when you've played it and you've played it a good bit and you sit down and watch golf, it is impressive. It is unbelievable the ability for those guys to hit a golf ball. And what you need to realize is none of those guys hit a ball straight. When professional golfers hit a ball, all of them move. They don't hit a ball straight at a target. They hit a ball out here and try to bring it back into a target. Um, but anyway, I enjoy the game of golf. But you know what I cannot stand? I cannot stand it when I go play golf and somebody who's either as good as I am or worse than I am or maybe they're even better than I am. But when they try to tell me how to do something, but they can't do it. That drives me nuts. Oh, well, you know why you shanked that ball? Yeah, um, you can keep that to yourself. When you stop shanking balls, you can tell me how not to shank a ball. That does. That drives me nuts. And here, that's pretty much what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, we didn't come to you and just tell you what to do. Paul says, no, no, no. We came to set an example so you could imitate us, so you could do what we do. And so that's what John is telling us in 3 John, that we need to imitate good. We need to imitate the good. Uh, go over to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 
I know this platform squeaks. I got to build a little thing to go underneath here to hold this up better. Anyway, if that's bugging you like it is me. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 1. Here Paul says, be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. You know, if, if, you, if you have Christian friends who are seeking to follow Christ, they would potentially be good people to imitate. If nothing else, we have Jesus Christ who we can seek to imitate. And he is ultimately the one we should be following and seeking to be like. And so we need to be imitators. We need to mimic the good, not the evil, not the evil. It is amazing to me. Most of the, it seems like a lot of times we mimic the evil. You want to, I mean, listen to half the things teens talk about sometimes. Listen to some of the things your kids talk about sometimes. Pay attention to the things that your kids are paying attention to. And a lot of times we mimic the evil. And we have to be very careful about that. What's interesting to me is at the end of the verse, he says, he that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. That word seen means to experience. It means to experience. They know about God in their head. They might know some facts about God. They might have some ideas about God. But the reality is, is they have never experienced God for themselves. And ladies and gentlemen, to be a Christian, you have to experience God for yourself. You have to come to the point where you realize you're a sinner and that you need a savior and you need to get down and, and humble yourself before God and you have to ask God to forgive you and to save you and to give you eternal life. You have to do it. And it has to be an experiential thing. It's not just a knowledge thing. It's not just something that's just out there and we just talk about it. No, it's an experience. And listen, when you see God, when you experience God, your life will change. Your life will change. You can go through your Bible from Genesis to Revelation and you will find biographies of men who experienced God and their lives changed. Go to the book of Isaiah and look at Isaiah and look how his life changed. Um, you can go through the book of Genesis when, when they saw God. You can go to... Um, is it Matthew 17 or whatever, the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John went up on the mount with Jesus and God comes out in a cloud and what do they do? They fall on their faces and they say, surely we're gonna die. Why? Because they experienced God. And you cannot experience God and not be different. Everybody throughout history who has experienced God is different, is different. So we need to mimic the good. We need to imitate that which is good. But then, in verse 12, you have this man, Demetrius. It says, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of us and, and of the truth itself. Yea, we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. We don't have a whole lot here about Demetrius. But you know, when I was thinking about Demetrius and I was thinking about Gaius, and we talked about Gaius being a demonstrative person. If you were to go back and read the first few verses, you're going to see there that Gaius, Gaius was a people person. Gaius loved people. He liked to help people. He kept people in his home. Gaius was just out there ministering, serving, and a part of people's lives. But then we talked about Diotrephes, and Diotrephes was just a creep, and he was just selfish, and all he cared about was himself, and he was, he was um, detrimental to the, he was not a helpful Christian. But then you have this guy, Demetrius, and we really don't get a lot about him. 
Really, all we know is that he has a good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. Really, all we know is that Demetrius has a good testimony. We have some people like that in our church. We have some people like that. They come, they pay attention, they're nice, but they're not in the limelight. They don't want to be in the limelight. Maybe they don't teach anything. Maybe there are certain things that they don't help with, but they might help out behind the scenes. But they don't like to be out there in front of everybody. They're not necessarily a people person. They're not at the door like, hey, how are you? My name's so-and-so. Oh, it's so good to have you. They're not that, they're just not that way. You know what? It's perfectly fine. That's okay. That's okay. But they have a good testimony. They're faithful. They're kind. But they're just not out there in the limelight like some other people are. And you know what? It's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. And I think sometimes in our, in our churches, I mean, the church at Corinth struggled with this. We look at other people and we say, oh, man, I wish I was like them. And we look over here and go, man, I wish I had their talents. And, oh, man, I wish I could do that. No. You just be you. You, you, take, you use and use to the best of your ability the gift God has given you and the abilities God has given you, and you do the best you can for the Lord. You be faithful, and it'll be okay. You don't need to be anybody else. You don't need to be anybody else. And that's okay. We don't want you to be anybody else because whoever you want to be like, we don't need two of them. We might not be able to handle two of them. The whole world might not be able to handle two of them. Okay? So you be you. And that's okay. But notice this testimony. Number one, this public testimony had a good report of all men. Um, if you were to talk to anybody, they had nothing but good things to say about Demetrius. He was just a good, respectable man. That's what he was. Then in the last part of the verse, it says, yea, and we also bear records. So here, John says, you know what? Me and my traveling companions, those of us who know Demetrius, we also bear record that, you know what? He's just a good, godly Christian man. And he says at the end, and our record is true. But I want you to think about that little middle section there. And of the truth itself. So let's read this verse and focus on this phrase. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. What is this truth? What is this truth that bears record or testifies of Demetrius? So we, he has a report of all men and of John and his companions, but what is this truth in the middle that bears record concerning Demetrius? Well, I think there's two possible answers, and personally, I think they're both right. One, when you obey truth, it speaks to people. When you obey truth, when you obey your Bible, when you do what God wants you to do, when you live that way, it speaks. It testifies. It just does. You know why? Because you'll be different. You'll be different. Because the world and most of the people that you probably know don't read and seek to live this. They're living however they want to live. 
And so when you live truth, it testifies. But the other answer that I think is a little more interesting or a little more compelling is I think that this might be a reference to Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Take your Bibles, go over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and look at verse 30. Jesus talking, it says, As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, I realize if you, if you can watch TV, you can watch movies, and you're going to hear this phrase, And the truth shall set you free. And the world uses that. And I, I, I get that. I, I, I think that there is a, a very practical application that honesty and truth is freeing. There is freedom in truth. There is bondage in dishonesty and in lying. But there is freedom in truth. But I don't necessarily think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. I think when Jesus talks about the truth making you free, I think he's talking about himself first. He is the truth. And true freedom, true freedom from bondage is in Jesus Christ. He is the truth who sets us free. In verse 33, it says, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. And that's not even true. That's not even true. It, it is amazing the arguments that the Jewish people used with Jesus. And here they're mad because, what do you mean, be free? What do you mean, freedom? What do you mean the truth shall make us free? We've never been in bondage to any man. Well, what about the Egyptians? What about the Philistines? What about the Amalekites? What about all the people through the book of Judges? You were in bondage all the time. So anyway, so they go on here. How sayest thou ye shall be made free? Verse 34. They were in bondage to the Romans. I mean, these guys were crazy. Anyway, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Verse 36, that the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Wait a minute. If the son therefore shall make you free, what did he say would make you free before? The truth. And now he says, if the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen it with my, with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. Anyway, my point here is in 3 John, if you want to go back there, when it came to Demetrius, I personally think God himself had the testimony this good report of Demetrius. Think about Job. Thane talked about Job this morning. He preached about Job. Job was kind of one of those trophies that God had on the shelf. What a convicting passage there in Job chapter 1. What a testimony that Job had. 
And here comes Satan himself. Satan walks into the very throne room of God to, to, uh, to, to come before God and to, to accuse and to cast blame. And, and God says, oh, hey, hold on a second. He goes over to the shelf and he picks off this trophy and he brings it over. And he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? At least that's how my brain works. And it's like God has this trophy of Job and it's like, he's amazing. This is one of my servants. He's awesome. And God, here, you, you see the wit, the testimony of God himself concerning Job, and I think that's how it was with Demetrius. I think God was the exact same way with Demetrius. He had that good report. So he had a good report of men, of God, and even of John and his fellow companions. They had a good report concerning Demetrius. So we move on, verse 13. So verse 11, mimic that which is good. Verse 2, have a good testimony like Demetrius. Verse 13. Here, Paul, or John says, I had many things to write, to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. This word trust is interesting. It's not, you know, we use the word trust so loosely, and the idea of hope. We use it so loosely. If we were totally honest, when we say, well, I hope, what we're really saying is, yeah, there's a chance I won't. And if I can, and if I can make it work out, then I'll be there to help you or whatever. But I hope to be there. But there's a chance I won't. And if we got really honest, when we say I hope to, what we mean is if it's convenient to, then we will. That's what we mean. If, if it's convenient, if it's, if it's easy, if, if I can make it happen and it's, it's not too much of a pain, then yeah, I will. And, and honestly, a lot of times when we talk about trust and we talk about hope, we have that little bit of doubt in it. Not with God. Ladies and gentlemen, when you see the word trust and when you see the word hope in your Bible, it is a confident expectation. It's going to happen. And here... John uses that same idea here. He says, but I trust. And he gets emphatic. He's really driving a point home here. He says, I trust. I am confident. I expect I will be there. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I trust. I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Listen, John was expecting to be there. He had his bus ticket, his airline ticket. He had his passport. He had all the paperwork ready to go. He was out the door. He had his bags packed. He was coming. And you know what? We just need to be careful on, the, on how, we, how we use the word trust and hope. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to God and when we trust God, there needs to be an expectation of God to keep his word. I think sometimes we, we allow ourselves to think of God at, like those people who have disappointed us or let us down. I think sometimes that kind of filters over into God and we think God's going to let us down. And he's not. He's not. He's not like us. He's not like those people who have let you down. He, he's not human. His character is flawless. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. Man, you want a neat study? 
do, if you have a strong concordance, do a study on the word righteous in the Bible. It literally means to be straight. There are no bends. There's no crookedness. There's no deviation. If you look in the book of Proverbs, you will see the word righteous a few times. But then you will also find the idea in the book of Proverbs of being crooked. And that is unrighteousness. Do a study sometime on the word righteousness. It is interesting, but God is righteous. He is perfectly straight. There are no deviations. There are no bends. There's no curves. God is perfectly straight. And that dictates his character, that righteousness. And every one of his characteristics is perfectly righteous and straight. It doesn't deviate. And ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to trusting God, we can trust him and expect him to do what he says. Because he's righteous. He is perfect in his character. So listen, when it comes to trusting and hoping in the Lord, make it that expectation. Have confidence in what God says. And then he says, and will speak to you face to face. I personally think some of this has to do with diatrophies. I think John is like, you know what? I could write and deal with a lot of issues, but I'm just going to come and we'll talk face to face. We're going to sit down and we'll talk and we'll deal with diatrophies. That's what, that's what I think he's referencing. That's my personal thought. But here he says, we'll speak face to face. And, you know, I realize it's 2021 and we're almost out of 2021. It's flying by. And I realize we all have these wonderful devices and we have text messaging and Facebook Messenger and we have, we have uh, social media and we have all these ways to communicate. But, you know, we, we need to be able to speak to each other face to face. If you have kids, you need to teach your kids how to talk to somebody to, in their face. Um, th- this, this is not the place to deal with things. You know, and, and, and it's frustrating because we have teenagers and we have kids in our church and we have kids in our community who are bullied through this. You know, um, who, who said it? Um, was it inter- internet confidence or somebody preached here not, not too long ago and they said something about that? Was it like Wi-Fi? It was some kind of confidence or something, but it is amazing the amount of boldness this creates because it's so easy to go on social media and text somebody and just spill your guts and speak your mind because you know what? They're not in your face to knock you out. And it's real easy to be some bad, you know, to be awesome and big and bad because you're on a phone or on a computer or whatever, and it's real easy. And listen, you got kids, they got social media, you should be on that. As a parent, you should know. You should be on there. I would say put parental controls on it. Give them limits, what they can and can't do, what they can and can't see. Make it private instead of public. Listen, my Bible says the, the, the devil's a roaring lion seeking, seeking whom he may devour. You don't think the devil doesn't want to use social media and these little devices to devour your kids? I'm telling you, you better have your guard up. And then there are other little kids out there who use this to bully, to make fun, to belittle, to be mean. You know why? Because they're cowards. They're cowards because they won't say it to your face. 
So they hide behind a device. Oh, I'm so awesome. Yeah, yeah, wait till I see you at school tomorrow. I wouldn't even answer them. I would just walk into school, walk up, throat punch them, and then go to class. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now, Pastor Monday would back me up on that. It, you know, the, the frustrating thing is to come in on a Wednesday night and go up there with teenagers or to sit, have a parent call me or talk about the stuff that their kids are dealing with, and, and it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, and our kids are dealing with all of this kind of thing. And listen, as a parent, you should be involved. You should know. You should know. And uh, anyway, here, John says, I will speak to you face to face. He could have dealt with it in the letter. He could have wrote out the letter and just sent the letter and stayed where he was. But he didn't. John says, I will see you and we'll speak face to face, eyeball to eyeball. This word face to face literally means mouth to mouth. Not like resuscitation. Okay? It means mouth to mouth, like I'm going to speak to your mouth. No, not too close because you don't want to get COVID. But, you know, speak to your mouth, you speak to my mouth. Maybe they'll wear a mask. Maybe it could be mask to mask. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, uh, really, my, my, when I read this, this face-to-face idea, you know, we, we need to be able to talk to each other. We need to be able to speak to each other. We need to have enough, enough toughness or a tough enough hide that we can talk to each other and we're not offended and, oh, you really upset me and blah, 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 and you know what, now I'm mad and this and that and my feelings are hurt. We should be able to talk to each other, deal with things, work through things as a church family, as Christians, and we should be able to work through stuff. Our kids need to learn how to talk to people face-to-face. Natalie started playing, where is Natalie? Oh, she's up there. Natalie started playing volleyball this year and um, there's gonna be a few days where she's not gonna be at practice and you know what the coaches told her? We don't wanna hear from your parents. We want you to come talk to us. When Wesley was in seventh and eighth grade at Brush, same way. They told him, do not send your mom or dad to talk to me about something. You come talk to me. Um, It's that way at Fort Morgan with Wesley now in high school. They don't want me to come talk to him. They want Wesley to grow up and come talk to his coach and deal with whatever needs to be dealt with. They They don't want me in there. And you know what? That is the way it should be. That is the way it should be. And so, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, Wesley, there was something that happened at church, and uh, Dustin got mad at Wesley. And Wesley came home, and he was all upset about it. And so we were talking about it, and I said, well, I said, you know what you need to do? You need to go talk to Mr. Dustin. I need to, what? I mean, Mr. Dustin's scary. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you need, to go talk, you need to talk to Mr. Dustin, and you need to tell him, and you, you need to go talk to him. And that's what he did. And you know what? that's, we need to teach our kids that, to be able to talk face-to-face and be able to deal with something and, and talk it out and work it out. And then the last thing real quick, verse 14 again, notice what he says. He says, peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. Here you have a friendly little goodbye, and notice that word, peace. How many of you like peace? You like peace? How many of you like peace and quiet? I like peace and quiet. I love some peace and quiet. Um, that's one reason why I like going camping and I like the mountains. I, I like that peace. I like that solitude. And, you know, if I can get out there at the right time of year when it's not crazy busy and nobody else is really out there, 
or you can find the right spot, that is one of my favorite places to be. I love that peace. Here he says, peace be unto thee. Have you ever noticed when you read the New Testament that at, a lot of, at the end of a lot of the books, they end with grace and peace? Grace and peace. Um, you realize the Bible tells us as Christians we should be seeking after peace? We're supposed to be seeking after peace. Hebrews chapter 12. Take your Bibles over there real quick. Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Notice what it says in verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Here it says, follow peace with all men. We should seek to be peaceful with all men. Go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 in verse 14. Here he says, depart, Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Here, David says, we need to seek. Who was David? He was a man of war. The Bible calls him a bloody man. David had killed his share of men on the battlefield. And yet here he says, we should seek peace and pursue it. Chase after it. Run after it. Pursue it. Peace should be a priority in our lives. Look at Romans chapter 14. One more verse. Romans 14. I know, I could have had them put a bump on the screen, but that's not any fun. Romans 14, look at verse 19. Notice this. Here, Paul says, let us. Now, that is a friendly command. He's saying, do this. But instead of getting in your face and saying, hey, you need to do this, Paul doesn't do that. Instead, what Paul does is say, hey, let's do this together. Hey, let us. We need to do this. What does he want us to do? Let us, therefore, follow after peace. Is that what he says? Is that what he says? Does he say, let us follow after peace? Is that what he says? No. He says, let us follow after the things that make for peace. Listen. Do you realize peace doesn't just happen? It doesn't just happen. We have to figure out how or what we need to do to make peace. Kind of like Thane was talking, you know, he can figure out five years from now, but don't ask him how to get there. That's the things that make for peace. God says, you need to follow after the things that make for peace. Well, the things are all that stuff in between. What do I need to do? How, how do I make peace with my wife? How do I have peace in my home? How do I have peace with my kids? How do I have peace with my neighbor? How do I have peace with, with, uh, with my church family? How do I have peace with my boss? You need to figure out how to make peace in your life. And listen, in every one of your relationships and situations, there are things that make for peace in every single one of them. Every single one of them. Guys, we would do well to figure out what that is with our wives ASAP. We would do well to figure that out. Wives, you'd be, you would do well to figure that out about your husbands. I mean, 
that is an important relationship, and you should know what will make for peace. It might be a hug. It might be saying you're sorry. It might be flowers. I don't know. But you got to figure that out. And here, Paul says, make uh, the things that make for peace. Follow after those things. Peace is a wonderful thing. Peace is a wonderful thing. We don't like conflict and turmoil. Now, sometimes we do. But ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, we should be seeking to live peaceably with all men, with all men. Here, uh, John finishes up the book here with, with this, peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. So there's the book of Third John. We have three different testimonies, three different men in here that, that we learned about. And uh, anyway, Third John, Third John. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the night. Thank you for your word. And uh, thank you for the testimonies in the book of Third John. And uh, Lord, thank you for that. I pray you'd help us to be imitators of good. Lord, help us to be imitators of good in our lives. Help us to be followers, imitators of you. In Jesus' name, amen. for me. Hey, uh, Mr. McCracken brought some cantaloupes, so there are cantaloupes. I'm guessing they're from down south. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you don't like them, that's fine. Just leave them alone. I'll get them. Don't worry about it. Uh-huh. But anyway, there are cantaloupes back there. So anyway, I don't know why I made, I don't know why I made